0: Hi, I'm Seth. And I'm Scott. And I'm Bob. And we are track walking. And as uh, lightly insinuated there today, we have Bob Bam. with us. Bob, Bob Miller, one of the one of my friends who's impossible to Google because you just I've got so many of these friends that have names that are impossible to Google. So like I try to dig up dirt on them, and I'm like, oh, Bob Miller, Cole, there's two hundred million of you.
1: See, at first I thought you were the saying Bob, Bob Miller, like he's not done anything important to be. No, able to
0: he it. is. That's the fascinating part about Bob is he is more important than he thinks he is, and that's why we needed him to be on the show. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> I thought you were making fun of him. That's just what I'm saying.
0: I'll make fun of him later. Okay. Um, I want to do my I want to do my introduction because nobody's as good at inter- introducing themselves as I am at introducing them. Mm. Um, it's kind of my thing now. So Bob. Uh, seriously autocrossed up to a national level in weird Korean cars. Yes. He, um, uh, I don't know if we'll get to it. He built a sort of built a dumb truck that he thought he was going to autocross to, which is completely idiotic. Yep. He won this year. He won the grassroots motorsports challenge. Um, I didn't win, but you did too. You're going to, yeah, you're going to do that. I didn't do it thing. You did. Um, he is a grid life grid guy. You, if you do grid life, you may have seen him, uh, bottom of grid, usually bottom, bottom of grid, usually telling you where to go. And, um, he is doing one lap of America this year again in a silly Korean car. And he invited me to come with him for reasons unknown, but I of course said yes. So, uh, Welcome. Bob Miller, and all your crazy shenanigans.
2: Yay, thanks for having me, guys.
0: <clears throat> um, what do you all want to I, talk about, Bob?
2: Um, well, I, you promised me uh, silly Korean cars, um, silly things, and that was about it.
0: Okay, let's dive into this whole Korean car nonsense. So if you've seen Bob at, um, at Gridlife, he drives his, his Kia Rio, and that's not his first Korean car. He's had a bunch of them. And he doesn't accidentally own Korean cars like a lot of us. He does it on purpose because he likes them. And I feel like this is diagnosing a mental illness and we need to talk about this.
1: Yeah. So, Bob, I guess my question to you would be, um, who hurt you?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, in all fairness, I grew up in a GM truck and B-body family. So that was what we had. GM trucks, fans, police cars. That's what we had. That's what I knew. Um, I got married, and it was determined that we should probably have a family vehicle instead of a regular cab Sonoma. So I went looking for cars, and in 2002, let's just say that smaller four-door economy sedans were not exactly at their peak in 2002. So uh, I ended up with a 2002 Elantra manual transmission that I liked and I thought it was the best option of the vehicles of the time that was out there. And then I fell in love with the car and <clears throat> we bought it cheap. Um, when it came time to buy the wife, some silly beater car that she could put 110 miles a day. We went looking for Hondas because you could buy them dirt cheap. They're stupid, simple to fix. And usually the parts are pretty cheap. So um, that kind of started snowballing into, oh God, here comes another car. So. Uh, I had uh, a launcher for 10 years, it, ro- it autocrossed for the last four years of its life, um, and it went to STS, I don't know if you guys remember that, uh, that was also a spec Civic class, before they combined the Civics and the Miatas, so it was I, the wrong car of for the class.
0: You know, I had, a, yeah. I had an STS Civic and it was good, and that's why I kind of yes. can't believe you were <laughs> autocrossing any sort of... Hyundai anything against them because the civics were so good.
2: Well, I mean, I got put there because I had done things to the car that made the car a better car. I put a sway bar on it, I put lowering springs, and I had bigger wheels and tires and an intake. Well, the intake throws you into ST automatically, at least back then. I don't remember the rules now because I don't really care. Uh but that's where the car went, so that's where I played. Um I went to the first um National Tour event and at Grissom in 2009, um, and that was when Andy Hollis was still running STS and showed up, and I think I was 12 seconds behind him <laughs> each day. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. uh, it, yeah. I mean, that's one of those <laughs> "What am I doing here?" kind of things. Uh, but I, I enjoy autocross. Um, I, I did a quick diversion of I wanted to build a. Uh, Civic Beater for STS, something that was better than the Civic. And I bought a Suzuki Swift GT. And if any of your listeners know what that is, I will be surprised. It's just a Metro on steroids. I think you'd be surprised that a
0: lot of our listeners might actually know what that is. Uh,
2: If you ever drove one, you'll understand why it was so terrible. Trying to do a slalom in that car, you would cross your arms and not have enough steering still. The steering rack was so slow. The car was terrible. But it made glorious noises. <laughs> that little 1.3, uh, I had a uh, – they were prom-tuned. So I had a, a prom for it that would let it run to 9,600 RPMs, I think it was. It was a 95 and 96. It was It was something ridiculous. The, the U.S. Uh, limiter was 8,500. The Japanese limiter was 9,500. And then the tuners were doing silly things with them.
0: So was this yeah. GT the turbocharged one? No,
2: no, the, no the they Canadian? were a. Now that was, uh, yeah, that was the. Um, Scott's over here. Generation.
0: The Scott's sprint. over here. Scott's over here. Going, why are we doing this? Why are we talking about?
1: <laughs> this is very strange to me, but continue. We're Talking about ninety five hundred RPM in a Suzuki, but.
2: All right. So the point was, you were like
0: serious about autocross.
2: Yes. Uh, I I built this car seriously. It was terrible. Um, I realized I needed to to not do serious autocross things, and I sold it and bought an 88 C4 Corvette because obviously we've determined that I hate myself i buy terrible cars. Yeah. Um, That car was one that hated me. Uh, I rebuilt the suspension. I rebuilt uh, the engine. Uh, I upgraded the engine because I'm stupid. Uh, The the fantastic thing was uh, the person that I sold it to um, put that car on a dyno and it did not make any less than 320 foot-pounds of torque at the rear wheels anywhere in the rev range. I think it peaked at like 370 foot-pounds of torque at the rear wheels. It it was one of those kind of engines you could just throw it in a gear and just smash the gas and you're going places, usually sideways or facing the wrong direction. that was still fun. (coughs) uh so yeah i got out of that one um that was where we found the rust issues um on my poor old Alondra that was now by this point 10 years old uh, being in the midwest things rust and well yeah so it's time to replace it uh i was getting ready to go do my first solo nationals in 2012 that year um uh, brian, brian harmer uh, had a seat in his corolla still that year and uh that was the first year of STF, which was kind of a, a new class for the oddball cars that had no place to go. Um,
0: it was, at the time, the slowest class in SCCA autocross. It,
2: it, it was. We had a PAX of 798. It was glorious. Um, More numbers yeah, that so mean I, nothing to Scott. That's about <laughs> so, what, 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 what is that? 798. It's, oh, it's, the, think of it as
0: a PAX is just a correction factor. It means yes. nothing. It's all lies and silliness. Um, yeah,
2: it, okay. it's it's made up numbers, and they don't really mean anything to anybody. Okay, uh, but it was it was a fun class though. While while it existed, uh, there were a lot of fun cars in that. I so while I was at Solo Nationals, um, I was actually on the phone with a GM dealership in Troy, Ohio, trying to work a deal on a 2012 Kia Forte. SX, which was their top level. I always called it the big block car because it was a 2.4 six speed manual car. And that car was a hoot. That's the one I wish I'd not let go. Did Andy
0: Hollis beat uh, yeah, you at STF at Nationals that year too?
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. That that was uh I don't I don't know that Andy Hollis has never not beat me at anything.
0: Well like, I know, but loser. just like when you show up to compete in Andy's in your class and you're like, oh dude.
2: Dude. Well, I didn't even care because that was the first year. And it's like it's not my car. I mean, I drove Brian Harmer's car for the first time from uh grid to the starting line. And that was that was the entire seat time I'd had in that car. And I wasn't dead last for the week, so I was good. So good. That became my my motto for a long time is don't be last and I'll be fine. So now I don't you, even care about so that. So
0: you keep so you you bought the big black car. The the question is why like so usually when people why? show up just why, Yeah, I mean, there's a why, but usually when people show up to autocross or do something, they show up in the wrong car. Right. And they're, they're there. And they're in the wrong car and they're like, yeah, but I like it. And so you, you humor them and they, they build it a little bit and it's obviously the wrong car. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. It's still the wrong car. And then at some point people go, all right. So like, I understand how to play the game. Now I get the right car. And then I developed myself as a driver and then I could compete. And you somehow never got to that logical stage <laughs> where you.
2: Now, and I, come on, in all fairness, that Forte in that class was a competitive car. Um, it, it was very competitive with the Mazda 3s. Um, it was a good car. I'm not a great driver um everyone that ever got into that car and co drove with me a they always beat me because that's just me I, and b everyone came out of the car and just looked at me and went this thing is way too good what what did you do to this i'm like i don't know i put some coil overs and intake and i tuned it and put an exhaust on it and put tires on it that's just what you do right and that car beat a lot of cars locally it won the local STF class three years in a row. Um, it was just stupid fast in a local way. Divisionally, it wasn't bad. Nationally, it was mid-pack. And I was I was never I never had a co-driver for nationals. Okay. So yeah, I was single single driver, and I finished mid-pack. And you know what? To me, with an unknown car, not that good of a driver, I'm okay with that. I'll take that. But you had fun. So it wasn't the wrong car. It just, oh, I always have fun. If I don't have fun, I stop doing it, which is why I stopped doing it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just what happens. So
0: you autocross dumb cars. Um, yep. Grassroots Motorsports Challenge was a thing. Did, did we ever establish though, like
1: why people keep, <clears throat> keep coming back to these cars? I mean, I, I, I get the the idea at the beginning that you needed cheap, cheap to purchase, cheap to fix car that you could just womp on. But then you kept doing that.
2: Okay, so well, let's back up. The The second one that we bought uh, was my wife's accent that she had for nine years. We put uh, almost 200,000 miles on that car that already had 100,000 miles on it. We paid $2,000 for it. We sold it for $1,000 when it was done. Um, I did the math, the long-term math of everything that we did. That car cost us right around $0.08 per mile to own, register, keep gas, and maintain it. Uh, It was cheap when I bought the… That's
0: the same same generation accent that that, uh, Texas Dave… Uh, nose makes a phenomenal rally cross car so that was he's that was not a good he's
2: not wrong that they're indestructible uh, i mean honestly that the engine that's in those is a cast iron block aluminum head if it has some oil and some coolant it will keep running doesn't care the the chassis is simple it's struts in all four corners i mean if you have a 10 12 14 17 and 19 millimeter wrench you can disassemble the entire car in about a Half an hour. I mean, it's just, it, it's easy to work on and parts didn't cost anything. But that's, that was the thing. Uh, when I bought the Forte in 2012, that car was two years old, had 18,000 miles. I bought it for ten five. That was a $24,000 car two years before that. God. And that's why I keep coming back. They're cheap. I, I haven't bought a new Kia or Hyundai in a very long time, but uh, 20 years, I guess, now technically. But anyway, I, I I buy them used because you can buy them cheap. They're reliable and they're fun. I mean, if you've ever seen me get out of the car, out of Gridlife grid life event, you will not find a larger smile. I guarantee you. Maybe. Yes. Okay. So why?
1: <laughs> so I, so I get all of this like as a daily driver, commuter car. Why? Why try to make a race car out of one of these things? Why not?
2: How many do you yeah. see? I mean, that's fair. And that's part of part of it for me is I'm doing something different. It's it's not the same thing everybody else is doing. Okay. It's the reason why I have refused to buy a Civic to run STS. I, I could have bought my father in law's 1990 Civic Hatch. It was a a DX, but you, you could do all the things to make it a, a, an SI to, to be competitive. It wasn't that hard. I could have gotten it for a couple hundred bucks. Not a big deal. I wasn't going to go that route. I'm, I'm just, I don't do things the easy way. That's fair. I don't know how. That's fair. And I kind of don't want to. <laughs> it's fun this way. I mean, people come up and ask, what the heck? Why are you doing this? Just like you're asking me right now. It's like, oh, why not?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure, you know, I, I know you've talked about the double the A arms and uh, the fact that some of the motors are actually pretty good and, you know, set up and blah, blah, blah. So, I, I wasn't sure if it was just because you wanted to be weird or if the weirdness, like, had a purpose behind it. Well,
2: I mean, when you look at the numbers for that Rio compared to, like, the fit, I mean, it's kind of four-wheel disc brakes, and they're freaking huge um, for the car. The 11-inch rotors um, in the front, 10.5-inch rotors in the back for a car that weighs 2,400 pounds. I ran street pads all this past year on track. Everyone told me that Blackhawk was just going to kill me, and the car just laughed. It didn't care. Um, it, it's got a decent suspension. Uh, it's got the same struts and a torsion beam in the back like the Civic or the Fits do. It's got power, way too much power for the class technically. Um, it, it's hindered by gearing uh, second gear on, or third gear on that car. You shift into second or into third gear right at 58 miles an hour <clears throat> and you don't shift the fourth until 94. Yeah, it's, <laughs> okay. uh, it's, uh, it's a little painful. Uh, I would, uh, at Bird America, I come out of the carousel. Uh, about five mile an hour slower than the Civics, but I'm coming out right at right at the, the bottom of third. And I had to I could just mat the throttle, wait, shift up the kink, um, and then I'm barreling down on the fits by the time we come to Canada Corn. I, I could catch them, but I, it takes me some distance to catch them. So I, big tracks are fun, smaller tracks, not so much yeah Well, oh, and then i still choose the wrong tire because i'm running the 615s and not the 660s that are yeah. the magic sauce because yeah
1: yeah, I, yeah yeah they're slower but they're cheaper they last longer and they i still think for driver development man get on the crappiest tires that you can and
0: amen
2: learn about them well they're not crappy they're decent tires yeah. They're not the top tier, but they're, they're good yeah. tires. They and I used can't really to get a whole season out of them. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, the 615s used to be the one of the big boys, but things
2: yeah. have things have gotten weird. Six months passed, and somebody else came out with something better. So, yeah, the tire wars on street tires have gotten kind of silly. Yep.
0: So have we, have we answered this yet, Scott, or like a review? You- oh, I'll, I'll rest, I'll rest, my, case. I'll rest my case. Are you
1: satisfied with the answer? now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there's no good final answer to why Bob does this. But, um, but at some uh, I point... Think yes. Yes is yes. the answer. There you go. It's, it's, it's yes. It's, uh, anybody at life should ask Bob about uh, Hyundai's and Kia's and just see what he says. It's weird. <laughs> Um, so at some point, you also decided you wanted to do the Grassroots Motorsports Challenge and get into that community and all of that nonsense. What, what's, and then this year, you were on a team that won. And yes. walk us through that. Like, how do you, Bob Miller, have, like, you won the Grassroots Motorsports Challenge. That's a big That's, deal.
2: I, that hasn't sunk in. I don't think that's ever going to sink in for me. I think it'll take me getting the magazine with us in there saying we won before I'll actually believe it. Uh, you know, I watch. I've read the magazine for a very long time, and I watched the the results. and It's like that looked kind of cool. Uh, Twenty nineteen. I don't know if it was your idea or somebody else's idea for the Gastropod class. That was me. Was. Daily driver regist- had to be registered um, and on what 340 plus treadwear tires. Yep, I think something like that.
1: Then is, that, yeah. an, so, but, is so, that an
2: ECS,
1: ECS and up?
0: Uh, no, I,
2: actually above that I believe.
0: Yeah, crappier than that.
2: Oh wow! Yes, yeah. nice.
0: the whole the whole yeah. idea. So so. What happened was I've gone... I've never built a car for the Grassroots Motorsports Challenge, but I've gone a couple times. And there's always a group of people that show up. And the the cars are definitely not pointy end cars. And this is the car hobby. So no offense to anyone. Half of them are kind of awkward and standing around and and not talking to people and blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, dude, if we're all going to stand here and be weird, we might as well have a class where we can all stand here and be weird together. And so... I sort of came up with the idea that we would we would have this class that had a rule structure that sort of forced everybody into a weird box together. Um, and so they had to be streetcars and they had to have like three forty treadwear tires on it. And then we were just gonna like hang out and play with each other and eat tacos, and it was gonna be fantastic. And I think it worked really, really well. Um, the main failure point. Was me breaking my collarbone like four days before the event, yeah. Um, and during the event, That's I was right. laying on the couch, just high as balls, uh, with a titanium plate in my shoulder. Um, but everything else worked great.
2: Yeah, it was it was a hoot. I mean, all the people that showed up. I mean, all kinds of just strange and weird cars. Uh, there was uh, three of us that came down from Indy. Uh, two of them traveled uh, the day before together, and I caught them that following morning south of Atlanta, and we, we rolled in together. So, you know, it was kind of a fun fun thing to do. We drove a, our $2,000 Challenge cars down to the Challenge, and we drove them all home. Um, you know, and, and, of course, me being me, it had to be Korean because I don't know that there's ever been a Hyundai. There's been Kias before, but I'm not sure there's been a Hyundai up to that point and I wanted it to be a Hyundai, so I found myself a $500 Tiburon <clears throat> and decided that, you know what, I'm going to build a $2,000 challenge car, and then the following May, I'm going to take that car on one lap. I've, I've
1: driven that car.
2: You've driven, you've spent quite a few miles in that car. Yeah. It wasn't a terrible car. No, it wasn't. It... it wasn't a great car, but it wasn't a terrible car. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, yeah, so, <clears throat> so uh, this is what I'm going to do, and we did that. I bought some Westlake tires, which I believe Seth got me sold on. I love Man, the Westlakes.
0: Those,
2: those are, I have Westlakes right now that on the truck. Sounds they're like they're a all mall all terrain tires, are fantastic, by the way. Sounds like a
0: mall. <laughs> they're, they're these phenomenally, you just buy them. I buy them on Amazon. Um, yeah. They're these yep. phenomenally semi crappy tires that are super cheap and they have the best breakaway characteristics.
2: Mm-hmm. So, they the, have, so they're, they're always breaking away. That's the thing. You always know that they're always going to slip.
1: Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, so what, for what size, how much money are we talking?
2: So my 225 45, 17s cost me $56 a piece. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so
0: awesome. Two
2: 45, 70, 17, 80 truck tires that we put on the, our, her truck last year were $76 a piece. God.
0: I think I was and, paying like Forty-one dollars a piece for Miata sized tires.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right. Um,
0: And they're so good. Like you would, you, I, when I had the my crappy Miata, you'd go out of the neighborhood and you'd be drifting corners at like (laughs) eleven. And it was the most perfect, controlled, not at all dangerous stuff you could ever do. They were the best tires in the world.
2: Uh, except in snow, let me tell you. Even with a front-wheel drive car and an LSD, they're absolutely terrible in snow.
0: Not relevant to me at all, Bob.
2: Yeah, just shut up. Anyway. Uh- <laughs> yeah, they're just they're just plastic
0: at that point. Like
2: they're
1: not even. Yeah, trying.
2: they're round. They get, they get so and hard. hard. I don't think you could. I, I and I think this is a, actually a feature with those. Was they get so hard they become run flats. Uh, nothing can. Pay- penetrate them at that nice. point because they become steel. That would so be yeah, feature. they're they're
1: fine. <laughs> Puncture resistant.
2: But yeah, yeah. So anyway, so we, we did this whole gastropod thing um uh, 2019. Uh, 2020 happened. Everybody knows what happened with 2020. We're gonna not talk about that. Um, so the car <clears throat> was ready for one lap and then one lap didn't happen. Uh, so then I started tinkering and screwed some things up and broke a few things. And then decided that uh, you, Scott, needed somebody to tow your Miata down to it's Very generous uh, of you to, to NOLA. And I'm like, you know what? That sounds like a good time. Why don't you just drive my Tiburon? That way I can go play with it down there too. And we did that. That was fun. Uh, the car went down to NOLA. We put it on track quite a few times at NOLA, which was an absolute hoot. Oh, then you guys great, drove it home that's a great track that is a great track I, I i wanted to drive that track after the 2018 one lap and i was sitting watching uh from the stands yep. at the final turn to the main straight and watching <laughs> watching all of the hhrs trying to touch the wall with their mirrors yep that was fantastic yep I think that that was the thing that sold me that I have to come back to one lap and and do the track thing because 2018 for me I just did the transit driving. Um, Tim did let me do these skid pads and autocross because I supposedly have these autocross skills that I don't have, but whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know. So was that was gonna fun. Ask,
0: I was going to ask how the autocross go, Bob. What was it?
2: <sighs> I of away my best run. Oh, did you? I didn't remember. Yeah. Yeah, don't even talk about that because yeah, you did beat me. You're, you're, your tone <laughs> only because otherwise. I cone that run, and that was a, you were driving a Civic on two seventy fives. Well, I was in a TL with some mismatched. Oh God, what was it? It was two forty five front. Well, no, because we had to trade tr- the wheels and the tires around because we'd already uh, almost the cords on the front shoulders for that point. So there were two twenty okay. fives and two forty fives. So we actually, yeah, that was it was ugly. But anyway, yeah.
0: when is win is a win, Bob. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you.
2: Yeah, I know. It's part but of anyway. It. So yeah, <laughs> rub it in. But you know what? I still beat Travis Pastrana. So on both skid pads. There you go. I'm part yeah. of that club. Yep. I'm all right with that. <laughs> a win's a win. So how
0: did you? How did you get hooked up with? The, with this year's uh, challenge-winning team?
2: So, one of the members from Indy that went down in 2019, uh, Chris Kinneman, who on the Grassroots Motorsports Forum goes by Gumby, and in real life goes by Gumby. So, if you actually meet him in person, just call him Gumby. He's good with that. That's a hard thing for me to say. So, it's usually hey, you. Hey. <laughs> yeah although I did, I did by the end of the week while we were down there finally start using the name he prefers so I, I still find it weird that <clears throat> it's just what it is uh, but no I uh, we, we've autocrossed together for years up here in Indy um, we did the 2019 Gastropods class he had the Taurus SHO in um, November of 2020 um the Bradley GT body was getting delivered, um, to him. And he sent me a message asking if I wanted to help build this crazy idea. Um, and he, he knows I'm, I'm a sucker for doing crazy things. Our other teammate, Chris break. Um, he's also known, especially known locally as being a crazy guy that does weird things. Um, and he said, Hey, I, I think Chris is the other Chris is on board. Um, we're going to stuff a uh, bradley gt body onto a grammar key are you in and i'm like but yeah this sounds great because it's stupid um so starting that november we started doing this whole shortening a grammar key after that they they pulled the body off uh stripped it down shortened the frame 20 inches let's um, see for some we reference we moved uh... the engine
0: the the Bradley GT is a is a kit car body that's meant to fit on a Volkswagen, Volkswagen Beetle Beetle chassis. chassis, and I don't know if you if anybody's I don't know how often these get together, but a Volkswagen Beetle and a Mercury Grand Marquis are different sizes. Yes, like uh, dramatically different sizes. Putting it yeah, yes.
2: yeah. So uh the, the measurement said that twenty inches out of the, the frame would would shorten it down enough to fit the wheel wells that were already on the Bradley DT. And then <clears throat> Chris Kinnaman Gumby decided he wanted the engine behind the front wheels in the passenger seat. So that's what happened. The engine got moved back behind the sub, or behind the, the front wheel go to the passenger side. Uh, we actually sat inside the body next to the transmission Um, And our feet were up beside the engine block. Uh, So it was very small confines for our feet. But we uh, left it with the automatic and and the the all 210-horsepower, two-valve, four-six that came in it. Um, But Gumby is a fantastic fabricator. He actually builds race cars for a living, Um, sprint-type dirt circle track cars. Uh, here locally, so the cage in it was rated for a 10-second pass. Um, <clears throat> him and the other Chris, they did all of the fabrication as far as and the figuring out on how to do the rear suspension. We ended up with the three-link. Uh, both of their knowledge on the axle was hilarious because everything being set so far to the right, the driveshaft angle would have been like a Z, basically, trying to, to make it work, and he ended up using um, a first generation ranger four-wheel drive passenger axle tube and axle and a four inch spacer on the driver's side and that offset the axle enough that it made it decent drive shaft angles so all these little things i mean every nut and bolt in that car came out of the donor car they literally just got that thing stripped the living crap out of it and if we needed fasteners and hardware and wiring and everything else it all came out of that so well, it was I mean,
1: when you're working with I mean, a much larger car you're, I mean, yeah. You know, if you're working on a normal car and you have some leftover nuts and bolts, like you kind of worry. But when you're chopping two feet out of a car, like you're probably going to have some things left over.
2: Well, I mean, we took out 15 pounds of wiring, if that tells you anything. Uh, I mean, there was just, and we didn't even fully pare down the wiring harness the way you should. We just cut stuff out and called it a day. Um, we were running short on time at that point. And there were a lot of little things that the, the original plan was for a single turbo um, and nitrous, both. Uh, it ended up getting the nitrous, which we did not use. Um, Tell us why you didn't use the nitrous bomb. <clears throat> well, uh, I'm going to blame the two Chris's because, you know, I wasn't in the car because I had already wussed out and said, no, I'm not sharp enough to go driving this car 100 mile an hour down the drag trip. So um, we had put drag radials on the or yeah drag bias fly drag tires on the back left the hoosier a7 radials up front with the uh 3h toe out for autocross um i watched a couple of the videos when they let off the gas the nose of that car went everywhere because (laughs) yes Hoosier A sevens are they're pretty sticky, you know. Um, yeah, and the direct strips kind of s- sticky too. And and when you, you got the tires pointing different directions, that they, they kind of fight each other a little bit. And uh, apparently at a hundred, uh, you know, ish miles an hour, that feels kind of sketchy with the wall three feet beside you. So uh, they made a, what was it a 12-second 12, 12 pass? I don't, or twelve ninety nine something like that. Oh, 13 flat. That's what it was 13 flat at a hundred mile an hour. We made that pass. That sensed the guaranteed win for the the, the dynamic side of things and called it the day. The the car had probably an eleven second pass in it with a nitrous because we had about another eighty horse to, to dial into it. And we just couldn't make ourselves do. we made they they each made one pass and both of them said nope, that's it, which is it's if you know those two guys the way that I do, that's—I have never seen Chris break in my entire life back away from a challenge quite like that. Um, so that's where I knew it was definitely schedule. I mean, we could have, uh, we could have taken the toe out of it, probably put some more air in their front tires, et cetera, and, and made it better. But we didn't need to, and we had already been fighting all day with that car. It had driven a total of a quarter mile before we got there the challenge and we spent the entire day chasing little gremlins that you would typically find out ahead of time that we just didn't have the time for so real, we were tired and, real quick
1: you know. can you do for people because grassroots mortar sports for as large as that community is i know the challenge is not everyone's aware i think of what the challenge is could you like give us uh, an overview of the basic rules and what the competition actually looks like?
2: So the basic rules are you have a $2,000 budget um, to purchase, build, and prep a car. Um, things like safety equipment, um, brakes, those kinds of things, things that keep you from killing yourself or others around you are, are typically exempt. Um, but everything else has to go into a budget. Uh, if you you know, buy a package of zip ties, you have to budget for the package zip ties, uh, all those little things. Uh, you can recoup up to half of your budget. So I guess technically you would almost have $3,000 if you sold enough stuff off the, the donor you started with to use. But $2,000 is, is the, that magic number they're working with. And the purpose is to build a car that can autocross, run the drag strip, and then do a concourse auto show the following day. Um, so it's basically like a triathlon of automotiveness and the the car that does the best of all the the, the events wins the overall um, there's you know the two sides you've got the autocross and drag strip which is what they call the dynamic scores you know you're actively competing and then you've got the concourse event where you present for 3 minutes to the judges um, and you know, they they judge the car like like they would for an uh, for a typical car show for you know innovation and presentation and blah blah blah. But <clears throat> it's a great community and it's it's a fun event because it's so different. Uh, you see everything from nine second quarter mile cars to just actually I think my favorite car this year was a Saturn SC2 from like 2002 with one of the old body kits and and. I mean, this car was honestly right out of freaking two thousand and two, you know, Sport Compact magazine. It had the the engine intake and a header on it, and you know all the things that you know we did to those cars oh, at yeah. that era. And it was it was cool, you know. So, but you see all kinds of things. I mean, Camaros and Mustangs, and an S ten with an Acura TL drivetrain in the bed. Uh, that was uh, the uh, Georgia. Um, Oh is it Georgia
0: Seth, Tech's
2: car? Yeah, thank you, Georgia Tech. That was their 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 entry this year was a TL drivetrain in the bed of an S10, which was kind of cool. Didn't work very well this year, but it was still pretty cool. But,
0: um, so I, yeah,
2: I mean so you you've got this challenge of you're working on a budget and you're trying to be fast, you're trying to look good and you're trying to have fun, and that's kind of the overall of the the event. Um
0: it's fairly prestigious for cheapskates. Other notable winners have included uh, Adam Jube, yep. Um, who has sure. won the overall with one of his cars way back in the day. Um, so it's it's for people who who build super cheap cars. It's kind of a, a thing that's been around for a while. Yeah,
2: I don't know how long it's been around, but I know that I've been watching it in the magazines for at least fifteen years. So <clears throat> uh, it
0: started they used to add a dollar a year to it. And I believe it started before it was $2,000. So it was like, it was like 1998 or something. So it's been around for a really long time.
2: And I'm sure the magazine enjoys having the, you know, the fun pictures and cars and things. And uh, it was a 2019, um, a certain domestic manufacturer provided a vehicle and a, professional drag racer um to the challenge and uh, they made some passes and got obliterated by a $2,000 challenge car which was absolutely hilarious um to say we didn't really get to hear about it much i think there's some promises made on that one so i won't name names but let's just say that it was it was hilarious you're (laughs) you're gonna look
0: at one like actual paper magazine this year um pulling grabbing a the the issue of grassroots motorsports that's going to have a weird looking black bradley gt with colors on it and, and that sounds like a weird description Yeah, it sounds like a weird description you'll know exactly what i mean if you <laughs> you're going to a bookstore and you'll get grassroots motorsports you're like that's a bradley gt with colors you grab that one it's worth doing um grab that one yes yeah, it was it was very neat so we should talk about one lap too because this is the yeah. thing this is what i wanted bob on the show because bob's kind of like done all the things and he's super humble about the fact that he's looks at himself as being in the background of a lot of things but he's in the background of a lot of things
1: should, do you want to do that
2: before the truck
0: Oh, the, what do you want to talk about with the truck, Bob? Just like like Bob's cool failed good ideas? Do we want to talk about that?
2: It's not a failed idea. It's still in my garage. Uh, I have not sold it. I have thought about selling it, but uh, that was a fantastic adventure. Um, when I was done with autocrossing, for the most part, I decided I wanted a cam car because cam cars are cool. V8s and push rods and noises. Classic American
0: um, muscle autocross. For those of you who are yeah, don't yeah. care about autocross classes, which is you, a lot of you. Think
1: just, just say <laughs> my name. Just say my name. Okay, I'm right here.
2: <laughs> okay, so uh, I decided I want something like that, but I it, we've already determined that I do things the wrong way. Um, so I was uh, my car that I bought right out of high school was a 1989 Caprice 9 c one I still long for that car. Um, in fact, I may have found that car locally, that actual car sitting in the weeds somewhere. Uh, it's very difficult to drive past it and not stop and ask if I can have it. Anyway, <sighs> I don't want a divorce. I don't need a divorce. So, um, so I decided I wanted, wanted either a B body coupe uh, or I wanted an old square body truck. Um, and I, I, I also knew that anything not in Arizona or Southern Texas was not going to be usable because rust sucks. And I'd already gone that route with many other things in my life. So I decided I'm only going to look in the Phoenix, Tucson area because my in-laws live in Tucson, nothing else. I can have it delivered to their house so I can fly out, pick it up, bring it home. Well, I came across a Blue Stepside seventy eight. That was the exact same color blue as Mom and Dad's nineteen eighty Chevy truck that they bought brand new in nineteen eighty. And this truck had the eighty grill and headlights. Uh, nineteen eighty, for those of you who don't know, for Chevy trucks was a weird year. Part of them had round headlights, part of them had square headlights, and this truck had the square lights. And I just, I fell in love with a guy. Who was asking four thousand five hundred bucks. I am like, can't do it. Wife and I talked, and she's like. If you can get into $4,000, just do it. So the guy's like, yeah, I could probably do that. Well, then I called my in-laws and said, hey, I'm going to send you money. Can you go pick up a truck for me? (laughs) And they did. Uh, They brought it to their house. And my father-in-law thought I was the most insane person in the world because he wouldn't have given 50 cents for this thing. Uh, I flew out. Uh, A month later, my father came out the day after that. And we took three days driving this 1978 C-10 home. The kicker was, this was a four-speed truck, which was actually a three-speed plus granny gear with 410 rear end. So, <laughs> it oh, no, had man. a... It, it, I mean, it worked. Yeah, we got home. It actually got 15 miles to the gallon most of the time out of this thing, only because the Everbrot carburetor secondaries were physically frozen shut with gunk. So, I drove a two-barrel home. Uh, but... About 65, 70 mile an hour was about it. I had a tack that they, you know, used a hose clamp to put on the steering column, but it was one of those tacks that does four, six, and eight cylinders. And it was in the six cylinder spot. So where I thought we were doing 3,800 RPMs, we really weren't. So yeah. So yeah, I drove a completely unknown truck with no spare tire, um, just a handful of tools, a couple a lights, drive. and a cell phone. 1,800 miles home with my father. Oh, and no seat belts. The truck had no seat belts in it, so I brought my harnesses that I had, bolted them in to make the kind of work. That was
1: honestly, that's probably the safer bet. Is I think you'd actually want to be
2: thrown clear of that <laughs> if you ever actually wrecked it. Uh, well, the first night in the truck, we learned to not touch the dimmer switch because this has a as a floor dimmer on it. You use your foot. To, to make your bright lights come on and off. <clears throat> We're in the middle of New Mexico and we've got mountain range on the left mountain range on the right. And it's, I mean, it's just pitch freaking black and the right headlight is facing straight down because it had popped out of the, the bracket and we can't see more than about 20 feet in front of us. So dad's like, Oh, well let's see if the bright lights are any better. He hits a bright light switch and every light on the truck goes off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've experienced ah. like rural New Mexico at 11 p.m. I heard it's, it's dark. You can't see. I hear the anything. stars are
1: beautiful though.
2: Oh, they are beautiful because I got a chance to actually look at them at that point. Uh, well, I hear my dad frantically with his foot on the floor trying to find that switch again, uh, and as he clicked it back on, we we didn't touch it. Come to find out, if you'd actually just hold your foot on the switch, it would have kept the bright lights on, but. We didn't know that until I got home. We never touched that switch again kind of a thing. Uh, but yeah, so we drove this truck all the way home. I had a good time. And uh, I've since, um, my in-laws were just here. First time they have been back to our place in a couple of years and saw the truck. And it's like her dad said, hey, I know that truck. I'm like, no, you don't. Because there's really nothing left of this truck that you remember. There's a frame and a body and everything else is new. So I've put a new engine in it. i um, put a five-speed overdrive transmission in it. It's got disc brakes in the back and lowered it and bushings and all kinds of stupid things. Cause I'm stupid. Um, I like to spend money. Just ask my wife. So there's the truck. Um, I still have it. Uh, I've got to figure out why it smokes only out of the right bank, but
0: sure, it's a minor eventually. thing.
2: <laughs> it's either rings or something. I don't know. Scott was talking about uh, oil pressure before we came on here. This thing has 80 pounds of oil pressure when it's cold. <laughs>
0: healthy yeah so so real quick how is it to autocross that truck
2: it's (laughs) it's hilarious you're sideways it's i've put a uh, lunchbox locker which for those who don't know what that is it's a little locker you put in place of the spider gears so that when you get on the gas it locks both your tires not like a limited slip but an actual locker um so it's a terrible idea for autocross if you want to go fast it's a fantastic idea for autocross if you want to go like make people smile and hoot and holler because you can't drive it without being sideways and it's the easiest vehicle i've ever had sideways to catch i think it'd make a great drift car
1: i was about to say we need to bring it out to uh grid life and and put in the drift drift section
2: i mean i've thought about it i'm not gonna lie but yeah no it's, it's it's great I could probably sell it for more money than I have in it, but kind of emotionally attached to it at this point. So I get it. So
0: the truck is dumb. We should talk about one lap.
2: One lap. Best thing ever.
0: And you've only done one lap as a, as a transit driver and you still think it's the best thing ever.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Number one, I like driving in general, like two places put me in a car and I, Everything melts away from me at that point. Just let me drive for hours on end. I'm happy.
1: You only did it in 2018. You didn't. You weren't there in 19?
2: Nope. Um, that was a deal the wife and I had was I would not do it every year. Uh, it would be every other at most. Gotcha. It, it is a very expensive endeavor. Yes. I mean, honestly, just the entry fee, hotels, food, gas, tires, brakes, blah, blah, blah. Yep. It, it's expensive, and it gets expensive fast. I, I get it. So that was the deal, was that I wouldn't in 2019, but I would in 2020 in my own car. Um, Surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And then when 2021 rolled around, um, my co-driver was stuck across the pond. um, And as I'm getting the car ready, looking for another co-driver, I had it on jack stands and couldn't open or close the doors. Yeah.
0: The Tiburon was dying.
2: That's it, where we're at. It, it had two hundred and thirty thousand very, very hard miles. So, yep. and I was honestly, I was make asking that car to do things it was never meant to do. I, it had two forty fives on it, yep. and some ridiculously stiff coilovers and twelve change front brakes. I mean, they 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 were huge. Everything about that car was silly to go fast on track, and I didn't fit in it, so that didn't help. So, but anyway, yeah. So I did it in 2018 as a transit driver. Um, that was another grassroots motorsports forum thing. Um, Tim had popped up looking for a couple guys to, to join him on that. And uh, I wish I'd never done it because <laughs> now I always want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it, I didn't need another addiction and, and now I have one. So yeah, it
0: sort of ruins you hit, you didn't, had you driven on track, like driven a car on track, prior to that? Yes, Did you. Yeah, okay. I had. I
2: had. I just didn't have enough track experience um, to meet the requirements.
0: Okay, So you kind of, sort of knew what you were getting into. So yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I knew what it was because uh, we we'd been running the autocross for for Brock for a few years um, at Grissom. By that point, uh, I think I have five hats from working that those weekends to, to do that. So, you know, I knew what, what it was. Um, I'd always wanted to do it because I had read about it in car and driver back in the day. Um, I mean, it just looked like a, a cool thing to do and it was one of those bucket list things. I mean, who, who hasn't watched cannibal run and wanted to do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was just, I mean, it's one of those things that I'm a car guy. It's what car guys probably want to do. So I wanted to do it, and I got the chance to do it. And uh, I hate you, Tim, for this, but thank you for, for bringing us along because that's it's a great thing. Everybody should try it at least once.
0: So now we're going to do it this year because you asked me to do it, which seems terribly thought
2: out. But what? So you've done it enough, so you just know everybody. I can't remember names, so I'm just going to count on you to use names. That way I'll remember who they are.
0: Oh, good. So I'll just be like your cultural interpreter. Exactly.
2: You're you're the person
1: who's going to come in right behind them and and do a party and Bob's just going (laughs) to lean his head over to the left slightly and you're going to lean forward. Yes, that's that's Brock Eates, Jr., the um, son of the founder of the organization. Right over there is Andy Hollis. He uh, he's been top tenning for a while now. He has a weird obsession with McLarens. And over there is Chris Mayfield, the uh, time of day. <laughs>
0: It'll be fun. We'll do that.
2: Yeah. I mean, that that seemed like a good idea to me. I don't know what the problem was. And you, besides, you hadn't gone for a couple of years. It was time for you to go again.
0: Yeah, I need to go again and, and finding, as you know, like like making sure you have two people who are dedicated in saying, I am going to be there. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to be in South Bend that first day and I'm going to be there for a week. That's kind of the hardest part of one lap. Um, Scott can't, of course, commiserate with us being that he has a Becky. Not
2: all of us have a Becky. Yeah.
0: Um, no, no. We,
2: we all want a Becky. I yeah. mean. You know, in some form or another, it's like, you know, somebody we can always count on to, you know, tell us when we're wrong and yeah. fix our cars for us and, you know, tell yeah. you what you, you should and shouldn't do. Cause I mean, the, the, she does a good job of that with you. You don't listen very well, but she she does a good job of it.
1: We're getting better. um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the, the downside is like all the funding comes from a single household. Uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Rather than multiple. <laughs> there is that. Um, Yeah.
2: Anyway. and and I think the other thing is uh, since I don't know if you I think you've mentioned in some of the other podcasts we're doing the Sunday Cup group with One Lap um, a group of like-minded silly people and small cars that go slowly Um, it's it's great people it's a lot of fun and the cars themselves are hilarious Um, yep so
0: I can say with some level of confidence that it's it's fun at the back. I know we have a tendency to talk yes. to people who are pretty good at one lap and end up, you know, in those first couple run groups and leave early and sleep. Those sorts of things. But um,
2: wait, 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 wait! People sleep.
0: I know you've been at the back. Here, here's
2: Scott,
1: here's
0: the here's the thing.
1: <laughs> they they leave early, but they a lot of them stop for like fancy dinners. Wait, they have dinner? Yeah, oh yeah, and like we've passed.
2: So many, they stop at a nice gas station. No, like no, they sit, sit down. down there
0: are there I swear to God, there are teams who are like you know our one thing is we got to have like one sit down meal every day.
1: Like, what, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> so we we regularly pass many people from the top twenty, just because we don't stop for dinner, and we'll see them pass them. All right. Utterly hey. bizarre. Yeah.
2: Well, and another the the reason, Seth, why I, I did ask you is I've already spent a week with you. And, you know, we were kind of at the back of the pack as a small group anyway. Um, just don't do the same thing you did in St. Louis, please. I like this. Oh, car.
0: yeah. No, no. I don't <laughs> even know that. <laughs> you drive one car into a wall and nobody lets you forget it. Uh, fun! No, um, fun, uh, funny story even... though. I'm
1: trying to convince Brian right now to actually remove that air conditioner condenser
2: for race car things. I mean, it's kind no, of story. That, that needs to stay forever. No, it's if it's <laughs> not even it's hooked go. up. It just needs to stay it's there. Go.
1: You can put it in no. the trunk, but it's got
2: to go. No, it, it's got to be there.
0: Oh, I, no, I I don't even know if I want to drive your car or not yet, Bob. We're gonna we'll have to have a talk about that. Um, we'll see. So coy. I, i so know i want to go on one lap with you in your car i just don't know if i want to do the the track stuff emotionally you, do. you just don't know it yet yeah that's kind of what he i'm Does about. know
1: it though the see that's the thing he's playing coy he's playing hard to get we're we're all gonna push him and like seth you have to drive he's like, all right and then he does oh, and fine. he's like oh wow okay yeah i kind of remember why this didn't suck and it's this is all a ploy for him to get back into like casual race car, like cars on a big racetrack thing as, and we are the patsies.
0: I do still have the accord. Um, you know, even though I'm not dailying, really dailying the accord, I still have it. Yeah. I can't quite make myself yes, get rid of it. You
2: converted to the dark side. You have converted to the dark side.
0: Uh, oh yeah. So that's the thing, Bob. Like, so that's the thing. If you're friends with Bob, <laughs> You
2: can't own a Honda. Oh,
0: the worst part about being friends with Bob is anytime you're like, oh, I'm thinking of buying anything. And Bob's like, dude, you should look at this. And it's always a Hyundai or a Kia. And it's Not always. always. Car- yes, it always is. And it's and it's always something <laughs> yeah, yeah, you haven't right. that because most of us, and Scott, you can probably confirm this, like like Hyundai's and Kias aren't really super high on our radar usually when we're thinking of cars to buy, because nobody race cars them and so yeah not just not things
1: yeah not for a race car like for a daily like they're they're starting to come on my radar more
0: right but but in general like you and i both like every car you look at you're like but what if i needed to use it as a race car yeah and so everything you look at tends to be like, but what if I needed it as a race car? And so I never look at Hyundai's and Kia's. And then you talk to Bob and Bob's like, oh, well, for your needs, you should look at this. And he like puts these things out there that are great fricking ideas. And then I look at them and, ah, uh, so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, now I have a, I have a, a Kia Niro, a hybrid, which uh, does have a, a six speed um, dual clutch transmission in it. So that's my race car connection to it um yeah it's basically a race car um and it's freaking great and i kind of hate bob for that
2: They're, they are great cars no matter whether you, you like the idea or not they make good cars
1: they've, they've come a long way since
2: the late 90s yeah well so i i made a comment on our local recently that i realized it's been 20 years that i've been doing this crazy korean car thing now 20 years and in 20 years those cars have changed dramatically and i still like them 20 years ago i mean they were simple cars back then but the new stuff is fantastic if i could convince the wife to let me go buy a brand new elantra in i would be at the dealership first thing tomorrow morning buying one
1: yeah i mean the 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 genesis line is gorgeous pretty legitimate luxury high-end cars. I mean, they're pretty good.
0: And the Veloster... What is it? The Veloster N? What's the super sexy blue one that's just a freaking rocket ship? Yep, the N. I got... Right when those came out, um, one of the local guys in Houston had one. And the things that they do are absurd.
2: They sound phenomenal.
0: Yeah, they just like accelerate and stick and it's like what the holy hell is going on it's such a weird thing because they like it's the same as when you get in a civic type r or or any of the the new the new front wheel drive cars that really are able to use the the active diffs and all those other fancy things and they just kind of screech and grab and claw at the earth and suck asphalt underneath them and And if you come from old crappy front-wheel drive cars, if you do like Mazda 2s and fits, you kind of go, all right, yeah. So this is like this is what front wheel drive cars are capable of. And then you get in one of the modern ones, and it's like, holy Christ, I can't believe it's doing the things that it's doing. Um and weirdly, like Hyundai's right there with anybody who's doing those things. Um so yeah, they're they're better than I say they're better than I want them to be because if they're that good, I should pay attention to them, and I really don't want to pay attention to something else. So that's it's terrible. Sounds <laughs> like right.
1: a you problem, to be honest. It with. is.
0: It is a me problem because then when I go by when I go by what are arguably lame cars like like my Nero, like it's it's a hybrid and it gets fifty five miles per gallon driving it around, and I'm like that old man who will tell you about how good his mileage is. I'm literally <laughs> that guy now. It's a real. Um, thing. Uh, yeah, but what I should do is I should buy, like, a Veloster N, which is freaking fast and awesome. Um, but uh, it's terrible. It's Bob's fault. It's all Bob's I, fault.
2: I, I, can't, I can't do the Veloster. They're too weird. I, I yeah. almost did when I bought the Rio. Um, it was between a Veloster, a naturally aspirated first-gen Veloster, and the, the uh, Rio slash Accent because power to wait for Sunday Cup was right in the same general ballpark went and drove a couple of lusters and it's just that weird the driver's side is a coupe and and that big heavy door is awkward and then the passenger side is a sedan and the rear hatch is not usable it's just it's just an odd little car
0: it's so weird it is it's like it's like if the australian way of building animals built a car you'd, you'd come up with
2: just random stuff, stick it here and I mean the nice thing is is you know, it's there's like, enough of those turbo cars wrapped around trees. I got a great donor car in a few years. So
1: Yeah. It's like that test of that draw outline drawing of an elephant. And like if you look at it one way, it has like three feet. And if you look at it the other way, it's got five feet that's right. that's the Veloster depending on like which side you look at it it's like oh it's a coupe. Yeah. and the other person on the other side it's like you're an idiot it's a sedan. <laughs> surprise it's neither. There was,
2: they made a fantastic commercial for that car i want to say it was in the netherlands for that where uh the, the past the backseat passengers were drunk and they get out of the car and get hit by a bus in an, in another brand car. And then, but if you own a Veloster basically, and they can't get out that side on the driver's side, so they only can get out on the pad. It was, it was hilarious commercial. I would never float here in the U S but it was fun to watch. Just that's some humor right there. People getting hit by a bus.
0: So while we're, while we're on completely idiotic things, the, the one thing I want to talk to you about publicly, and I know you're going to be shy about this, Oh is that um you actually have a knowledge base that you're using to um help car race car people specifically
2: and oh tell, yeah tell my, how, my pseudo business with yeah your, uh, your pseudo
0: business because it's not it's not just that bob's trying to make money which i think you are but like you actually know things
2: yeah
1: yeah it's um 710 i believe is the that's what you do right
2: Yes, yes, 710, but I turn it upside down, so it's actually oil. Oh, okay. Um, That's weird. Yeah, so um, in a a previous life, um, I spent six years doing used oil analysis for one of the largest companies that do it out there. um, And realized that I was very good at it, and I enjoyed it. Um, I became the local automotive expert, I guess, knowledge-wise. I did a bunch of fun things with that stuff. Um, but I left that company, um, and went on to different things and I, I kind of missed it a little bit. Um, and there, there's a lot of practical uses for it if it's done correctly. Um, you know, all of us at, that, race cars, I, I mean, when I worked for them still and people asked me what I did and I'd mentioned it. And the first question was always going to be, oh, so what oil should I use? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a great, great question, but it's the wrong question. So I came up with a company idea that I would cater to all of us weirdos that want to race cars around circles and squigglies and straight lines and wherever else that um, provide a service for analyzing used oil uh, to determine if that oil that you're using is the right oil for you for your application. And if you can keep using that oil or you need to start changing it sooner. Um, that That's basically the idea behind it. So rather than telling you what oil to use, telling you what, if the oil you're using is right. And I think that's a, a valuable idea. So I came up with the racers oil analysis resource as a company. Um, and I <clears> have <throat> done a couple, but I haven't done that many yet. But uh, I want to try to just help our fellow racers, I'm not going to get rich off of it. Uh, it's just something I enjoy doing. So it's just, it was an idea as the wife and I had had, and it doesn't really have a whole lot of overhead costs. And it's uh, something I started. So it's, yeah, it's I finally good. went live last last month. So
0: It's good to be able to use a knowledge base you have to help your friends rather than just know those things and not... That's the uh, thing. is then, you, don't, you don't really have an inability. So the things that you know, and I've talked to you about this, you don't really have the ability to share until I send you an oil sample. And as soon as I send you an oil sample, you have the ability to to tell me a billion things. Um, And you and I have played around with this before. I'm like, hey, Bob, what should I do? And you're like, you're an idiot. You have to, <laughs> like, I have to know what you're what what oil stuff is going on first
2: it's like going to the doctor and and not letting him see you or talk to you or or know any of the the things are going on and asking him what you should do to fix it right like the same way
0: should i be eating cabbage dude let me (laughs) yeah let me me look at your poop first and then we'll see i don't want to look at your poop but still the same idea
1: (laughs) that's that's a weird analogy
0: come on scott work with me here
1: just because it comes out of the bottom (laughs) And it's usually brown. Doesn't
2: mean we need to talk about it.
0: I don't know. The more you talk about it, the better the analogy sounds.
2: Well, I mean, you've got a differential in the back, and that has oil. So, I guess... Yeah, I guess it could work. Yeah, yeah.
1: Your poop lubricates your body. Is that... I mean,
2: kind of. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, well, if you have an automatic transmission, it's kind of like blood, right? No. Fluid. Yeah. Yeah. You both are drunk.
1: Um, What does... (laughs) The uh so the oil racer analysis, what does that look like if somebody wanted to actually have this done? What what do they need to do and what does that process look like?
2: Um the easiest way is to either email me um, at the racer's oil analysis resource at Gmail. It's a mouthful, I know. Uh or if you go onto Facebook, there is a Racers Oil Analysis Resource uh page group. Um you can contact me there. Or if you can f- Figure out which Bob Miller I am on Facebook. You can always get a hold of me that way as well. Spoiler um,
1: alert: He's the one with the bright red Kia in the picture.
2: Oh yeah, that one. Um, but yeah, um, I, I've got yeah options for for anybody in that regards. Um, I, I do things a little differently than most analysis companies do it. Um, I your first sample that you send in to me is always going to be two kits you're going to have one used that you've taken and one sample of the brand new oil that you were using in it. That way we have for you to see as well, a baseline of the fluid you've got, and then your used sample to compare it against Yeah, Um, that that way. You've got that information. I've got that information and it kind of takes some of the questions out of the the equation we usually had.
1: And are you going to like, like with your customers when they send stuff in, are you going to keep like your own database of previous samples and things like that? So as they continue sending things in, you can kind of track and take a look and compare.
2: Yeah. So the the nice thing is, is I'm going through my former employer, uh, Polaris Laboratories has a fantastic setup uh, that they use for this. Um, I use their their Horizon database. so You will have all of your old samples together um, with your new sample. So every time you send in one, you'll have all your previous history to go with it. Um, and it's I, I'm setting each customer up with their own basically subfile so that you're always getting your information every time. Um, I actually have everyone send the stuff to me first. Uh, so that way I can make sure that it gets entered correctly. Um, a lot of the problems we had when I worked uh, for them was... The lack of information or the the amount of disinformation that was that was with the sample, you know, people didn't know what what to fill out or what to say or what to make it as. And I know the ins and outs of how to do that correctly. And I kind of by doing that, I taking out some of the questions that people would have later. Um, and if I have questions, I you know, you've emailed me and we've got direct contact. In um, the same way with the report, once I send you, you your report, it is a specific report for you, um, detailing everything that I can, I can tell you off of it. And if you have questions, you've got my information to, to contact me and ask me anything you want. Um, that's, that's what the service is for, is to provide information. And if you can't, if you don't understand what you're being given, ask me. I can find a different way to explain it. So, so this may be a, a weird
1: question, but. When somebody sends you in a sample of used oil, what's the best way to actually get a sample of used oil without like dipping it in an old pan that's got all sorts of fluids kind of in it all. Uh, I mean the,
2: the best way is if you're if you don't want to change oil if you have a vacuum pump and a length of clean <laughs> hose, that you can run down a dipstick tube to, to pull out a sample. If you are changing the oil, pull the drain plug, count to three, and then slide the bottle under there and fill it up to the line. Um, those are the two most common methods for engine oil. Uh, other oils are harder, like differentials, where you the only way you can change it is to pull the pan. Yeah. It, it's weird um, and it's hard to get a clean, sample that's representative but in a differential that's going to look like poop no matter what you do so they're they're always an ugly sample but yeah for an engine oil you always want to drain it for a second or two to get all the the sediment that always settles at the bottom through but if you wait too long you'll have nothing but clean oil so you want to kind of try to catch it in the middle of the stream is is what you're trying to do with it Um, and if you're using a vacuum pump start the car up let it run for a few minutes to circulate everything through that way it's it's freshly churned those are your best This <laughs> yeah, is mm. butter. It's mm. fine. <clears throat> Yeah. And if it's sludge, don't send it in.
0: If it's that yeah. bad, just
2: Yeah, throw it away and start <laughs> fresh. <laughs> and I don't mean the oil, I mean the car at that point. So just
0: everything. Just
2: Yeah, just you no. Know, light it on fire, walk away, and hope the insurance pays for it.
0: Nice. So you're gonna do when when I've done oil analysis before, I sort of get it back, and they're like, "Yeah, you got some uh, whatever metals in your engine's good. Uh, send us back more later." And I don't want to say I found limited use with that, but I feel like I could have
2: gotten more. And that's that was kind of where I came from. So there are two. Um main groups i guess we can say um that do this stuff uh you've got one that uh, is like a, a, a gray rock i think is their name something like that um and their reports tend to be happy-go-lucky everything's fine hunky-dory kind of a deal um the other one is kind of just a generic comments and it's just kind of blah it's not really telling you what you're trying to do and that's where i'm trying to fill that gap in uh actually i was just looking for my most recent report i had i tend to keep them floating around here but uh, i tend to break it down into um uh, your like wear um and contamination stuff the oil condition itself because that's what we're really looking for i mean you, you want to know if this oil is working for you and if you have things going on like um uh, you've got where, or you've got some contamination explaining where that's coming from and whether you should be concerned or you should be doing something differently, or if maybe you need to try a different oil, et cetera. Um, You know, so I, most of those reports you get back would be about a paragraph. Mine was a full page. Um, And I'm not going to use big, fancy oil analysis words because only we understand what that stuff means. And. It doesn't help anybody if you don't understand what you're reading.
0: So the What's two right fields of for? questions are like, is the car doing something horrible and is the oil doing something horrible?
2: For the most part. Yeah, and that's the basic general. So are we seeing where? Are we seeing contamination? And is the oil itself holding up? Okay. Is is what we're we're breaking down for.
0: And so if the oil something the, the oil's misbehaving, that's where you're like, okay, the oil's misbehaving, maybe you should do something different
2: exactly so if you're running say an oil that's not thick enough um uh scott uh, i believe he went to a 50 weight last year from a 40 so if that 40 weight oil that he was using and he sent it in uh we would look at the the common things like what's the viscosity doing um is is there contamination and then we start looking at the, the main oil properties themselves um If it's overheating, we'll see high oxidation, which means that the oil itself is kind of breaking down. And that's when we go, hey, this oil is not holding up. So either find a different brand or maybe try stepping up one step in viscosity. And that's helpful because otherwise we're just kind of guessing. I mean, if you don't know what you need. And you don't know what it's doing, then you take the best guess you can and change it a lot. I mean, that's kind of always been the, the go-to is, you know, you just change it for every event and, and don't worry about it. But that can be kind of wasteful and it's costly if you're well, if using. You're
0: ridiculously expensive if you think you need to run like Motul, you know, whatever, five or six quarts of Motul for two track days and change it. When yeah, you know if $20 your twenty dollars a
2: quart, yeah, yeah.
0: If your car's super easy on oil, and you can really be using, you know, Walmart full synthetic, and uh, your car will be happy as a clam with it because you're not actually getting hot, and yeah, and those sorts of things. It could be you could save me money, Bob. That's what I like about you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. You know, I tried a bunch of different things. Um, for our daily drivers because i got to do all the testing for free and you know what i found out was that for us driving cars every day walmart 17 dollars for a five quart jug synthetic fluid was perfectly fine for five to seven thousand miles and it's just as good as it is doing the same exact same thing that buying a mobile one was or if i was buying the penzoil gold platinum ultra blah 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 whatever their current version is and that's the thing is is finding what oil works for you for your application because me buying Walmart synthetic may not work for Scott. Use the same fluid in his Miata because his oil pump pickup might fall off and things.
0: No. <laughs> but it might no. not. It might not. Thing.
2: Yeah, I mean you don't know. But and that's the thing is is that's that's what I'm trying to provide as a service is how do I help you figure out what you need to do what you're doing? Yeah. I don't think
1: there's anything quite like what you're doing out there right now. I mean, it's, I kind of equate some of what you're doing to what Becky and I try to do with tires and kind of demystifying it a little bit, but just making it easier to understand.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Um, There, uh, there's another company that does uh, the, that kind of a thing that, has a bit of a reputation for being a little shysty. Um And, you know, people don't necessarily trust what they get from that. And I understand that. And then you've got a company that everything's all good and hunky-dory. Well, there's got to be something going on here, you know, and thats I just want to provide information and use that stuff stuck in my head for something other than annoying my wife. Sure. So.
1: Well, you told us where all the um, Racer Oil analysis stuff is. Where can people follow you and find out more about Bob Miller, the weird Korean car lover? I'm not really a
2: big social media kind of guy. Um, okay. That's fine. So, interestingly enough, um, Indiana, about they go to four, Indiana. Yeah. F- f- four <laughs> weeks ago, I did have an Instagram account that got hacked. I have no idea why I had a total of thirty-five followers, which is hilarious, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on Facebook. I'm on the track Midwest groups. I'm on all the the Grid Life Sunday Cup things. Uh, one lap, and uh, if you have questions, ask one of you two fine fellows. They can always direct you to me. So you got nothing better to do. So. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, we are. I'm gonna do it this time because I always forget. We are at track walking Podcast on instagram and facebook trackwalking chats is the facebook group uh feel free to stop by say hi uh you know because we'll be around doing stuff and we'll be back around next week so for the three of us here i'm scott i'm seth and
2: i'm bob we'll
1: talk to you next week